Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back to episode 50 of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Ben, this is the golden episode. Big 5-0, man. Big 5-0, man. Getting, getting some gray hair. Um, so first off, if you are a first-time listener, congrats on having the 50th episode be your first episode. But make sure to listen to all the other episodes. We've got a lot of good content, a lot of good stuff coming. Um, we're going to start doing uh, some, some more interviews with companies and some company highlights and kind of shake things up a little bit here as we hit the, the second half of the year here and, you know, going to continue to pump out and produce great content and have good discussions. But I think the more people we can bring in to talk about this stuff, the, the more variety we can have when it comes to helping educate and have the conversation about everything. So very good. But make sure to hit that subscribe button. You will get the latest content right at midnight on Friday, Eastern Standard Time, every week when we release it. Leave us that review. Give us the five stars and share us. Share us with whoever you know in the industry. And don't be afraid to send us an email or put a, or a little comment on the website there to let us know what you want to hear about. But Ben, I'm excited. Me too. I mean, and, and like Nate said, you know, to reiterate, reach out, reach out, whether it's through LinkedIn or website or email addresses, everything's out there. It's available. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what's been going well. We want to hear what's been helpful. And we want to know if what we're going and the direction we're going is of value to everybody that's out there. I think we've got a lot of great stuff planned with some other interviews and to bring some other people on to hear, you know, really what value they bring to the industry and to get the ins and outs, whether that's insurance or just another logistics company talking about how they work with different aspects. I think, well, the hope is that our listeners are, you know, going to find some value in that. It's going to help them either get better at their job, more effective, more efficient, more profitable, whatever that is that they're looking for. Absolutely. I'm with you. So as far as sports, um, I don't have a whole lot, you know, uh, my Red Sox are just tanking. They're not, they're not even like a professional baseball team right now. Um, football, we're inching closer. You know, this would be around the time that you'd start seeing preseason games, but it's obviously not happening this year, to my knowledge, at least. Golf didn't – where they had a – they pretty much play every week, but – Yeah, there was a tournament. I was on vacation through the weekend, so I didn't get a chance to see it. But the one thing I did see was Tiger committed to the, the FedEx playoffs, so – that's okay. a pretty big commitment. There's yeah. going to be a lot of lot of tournaments leading up to it. They changed that from I think a point standing to a stroke play through to the playoffs. But I've got to look back again and check out the details. Interesting. It's going to be something interesting. I mean, so so as far as vacay, you did a little uh, little Florida Keys action, huh? Absolutely. We I took the wife and the kids and the and the dogs down to Isla Mirada, sport fishing capital of the world. Even though That's I didn't awesome. get some. Didn't get to get out on a boat, but we did get to enjoy it. It was a really great time. Um, good food and just got to hang out, you know, spend yeah. some time in the islands. I like it. I, I went to Key West about a year and a half ago. Um, unfortunately, I flew right there. I was, I've always been told to fly into like Lauderdale or Miami and then just rent a car and drive down Highway 1 all the way yep. out or 1A, whatever it is that gets you out to, to Key West. It's like a three, four-hour drive. Um, but I, you know, was kind of strapped on time, but that's, that's a goal of mine. Unfortunately, we're, we're still, New York state is uh, pretty much locking us all down. I was supposed to go to Myrtle beach this weekend for a week. And yeah. um, that's not happening because they have a man mandatory quarantine for two weeks when you come back. Yep. So now, now we're looking at where can we go within New York state and uh, you know, get away for at least a few days, maybe the finger legs. I don't know. We'll see. And that was us too. And you know, it's funny you said that I have a buddy of mine in Pittsburgh that's taken a road trip up to the finger lakes. My mm -hmm. son just um, got up to Ithaca, New York. He's up at okay. Cornell for his first year about two weeks ago. And same thing, two week quarantine up there. He got up to school three weeks before it started so that he could, you know, and to be honest, that's what we found down in the islands. I mean, I, I live in South Florida. So when we got down there, what we noticed was the islands were, really busy but they had said the majority of the people that were there were um 
local Florida Flor- Floridians. Yep. We yeah. met a few, a few other families. They were from Tampa, Boca, like us, everybody pretty much is staying close to home. And I think trying to spend their vacations at least in state. Yeah. It's funny. I saw, I saw a meme online the other day. It was almost like a, a Google review and it was the name of the company was 2020 and it was rated one star. And it just said like, um, bad would not recommend or something like that. I, I got a kick out of it, man. That's been like overall how the entire year has been with lack of travel and sports and pandemic. And, you know, la- there was Increased, a lack of toilet paper at one point, you know, increased stress, isolation, family turmoil, like oh, not yeah. figuring out if your sales are going through businesses changing, working from home for the first time. It's been yep. a lot of first and a lot of, a lot of change this year. Oh yeah. So so today's episode, though, this is good. This, this came by request, actually, for probably the last, since I got this thing running last year, I've had a lot of people that have inquired to me on, hey, I'm a carrier rep. How do I move to the brokerage side and start getting my own accounts and brokering some stuff out? So I wanted to have a conversation about that today. And there's no right answer here. There's a lot, there's a lot of discussion to be had, though, on the difference between the two jobs, pay structure, um, how can you transition? Is it meant for you? Can you do both at the same time? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're, let's say you're an agent or you're running your own brokerage, you're doing both. You're, you're managing customers. So you're, you know, account management, but you're also covering freight, which would be your carrier rep. What was what I'm referring to here. So that's that full cradle to grave. Now, if you go to a larger company, you know, whether it's like a coyote or an XPO or integrity express or TQL or whatever. A lot of these larger companies, they'll have kind of two sides of the equation. They'll have the account manager and they'll go by various different names or they'll have the carrier side, which could be carrier sales or carrier development, carrier representative, um, dispatch operations, right? And they separate it sometimes by design because they don't want someone to have the full cradle to grave control for a reason to be able to leave and go work somewhere else um, yep. or because they like separating it for flexibility. You know, there's a lot of reasons. And efficiency. Might. I mean, there is efficiency and specialization. Henry Ford going back a hundred and some years, give somebody yeah. a task, give the guy the next task. We can get it done faster if you're just doing this specialized specialization, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I guess we'll, we'll kind of talk about what, the pros and cons to each one of these roles are and having them separated. Cause you might be a, a brokerage owner and wondering, should I have, you know, full service brokers or should I have a sales department and an ops department? So like you said, efficiency, if you've got a broker that has a book of business or some accounts, or they're working house accounts, getting loads when they leave at, we'll just say five o'clock, you know, who's going to take care of dispatching check calls, all that stuff. That's where a operations team or a carrier rep, that works late night or second shift is going to help you with efficiency and flexibility. Cause you're not worrying about that broker. That's now out of the office. You've got a team there specialized in just that. And they might cover everybody's stuff at a certain time. You know what I mean? So something to think about, did you have any, you know, I know with your brokering experience in the past, did you guys have a different teams and all that so stuff or how did it, it work? Up, yeah. So we had, Um, It was cradle to the grave model. And what that was, was, you know, I was responsible, one touch, all customer contact information went through me. But as I grew and built out my book and continued to scale, then I staffed it underneath me, those people only worked with me. So I think at the most I had 11 people underneath me directly. Mm -hmm. But then I also had access to the company's after hour support. The issue with that was, they were helpful and it was nice to have 24 hours where a carrier could call, but everybody knows that and why transportation is so segmented is that every shipper kind of has their own SOP, how they operate, how they tender, what their BOLs look like. So it's very hard in some of these instances to have a centralized after hours department that would ever be able to understand how every one of their, you know, 50,000 customers within a company that large operates. Right. So useful and helpful, but absolutely has some of the hamstrings in regards to what you could utilize them for. So did a lot of internal and redundant training with the people on my team. And what we tried to do was always like 
split up that burden, right? So that not one person is always 24 seven access to every issue that a carrier has or that a shipper has or at a loader, at a, you know, any one of the number of issues that came up, we would kind of rotate who was going to take those calls, which those days were, what times of day. So because one of the biggest things we see with this model is, you know, broker, broker burnout, right? Like yeah. they have the control. It's great. They're able to promise they're able to stand up to their word when they make that to their customers because they've got total control. But the other side of that coin of total control is also the inability to have a shutoff switch to go back to your life, right? I mean, yes, our careers are super important, but so are our families, so are everything else and having a well-rounded life. And to never be able to shut that off you're constantly under stress. You constantly have that cortisol running through your body, this constant worry, and that wears on you. I mean, it really does. Yeah, and that is something that specifically that I have seen with freight agents, right? Because these are people that, whether or not they have access to a carrier sales team with their brokerage, a lot of these agents only trust themselves and they're doing cradle to grave and they will burn out. These are folks that are working, they're up at six in the morning at the computer on the phone and they're working at 10, 11 o'clock at night. They're working Saturdays and Sundays. And eventually like, you know, the lifespan on the folks that don't evolve into a more efficient model, it's like two to three years. And then they're like, I'm done. Like I'll sell my book of business if anyone's even willing to buy it. And yep. They, they look for other jobs. So, um, it, and then same thing goes with, if you're a one person brokerage owner, which is a super high failure rate, um, but if you are, maybe you've got one employee, whatever, if you don't figure out a way to efficiently handle and manage your time and your um, operation, you are going to experience that burnout. So um, this is why companies will have the carrier department and they'll have the sales completely separate. Um, it doesn't hurt to have people that are savvy in, on, in both, but their primary function is to work in one of those two roles. So totally separate from all the accounting and back office billing and all that stuff, but it's, it's part of the actual brokerage process. You know, sales guy gets the customer, they get the load, they quote it. Once it's awarded, carrier rep takes over, finds the truck, gets the rate negotiated, dispatches it, check calls, make sure it gets delivered separation of duties. And, you know, that way you can focus just on operations and, or just on getting as much free as you possibly can. So yep. it's kind of the, kind of the separation between them. Well, and it's one of the difficult things that we see, like with a lot of the guys I coach in transportation, right. Is the fact that their number one thing they need help with is being able to juggle and to switch in between the tasks, right. When you are in that cradle to the grave model it's very easy to constantly push off your prospecting and to push off business development and to say, Hey, this problem or this op or this load needs covered. Like this is where my effort should be. I've already made these commitments to this customer. This is what I'm going to do all week. The reality of that is though, is that like, you need to be able to cut that off. You need to be able to bounce back and forth between the two and having a dedicated ops department allows these people in the different models to be able to do that. It allows them to grow. It allows them to focus on that skill set as opposed to having to determine when it's time to cut your loss on covering a load, pay more than you wanted to, instead of trying to find that perfect truck over two hours, right? Yeah. Get in the truck, getting it booked and moving on to the next one for the sake of efficiency is a hard decision you've got to make in the cradle to the grave model that you don't necessarily have to make in the pod model. And as a caveat to that, as a, if a, if a brokerage owner is using this model, <clears throat> or maybe you work in on one of those two sides at a, at a larger brokerage, there has to be the right ratio on each side. So you, you can't have too many sales guys and not enough ops people or too many ops people and not enough business coming in for them to, to work on. Cause then you're going to have inefficiencies or you're going to have a basically like a, a backlog or a, what do they call that? Like a, a log that kind of slows you down a, a pinch in the uh, flow. Oh, like bottleneck. Bottle. There it is. There you go. Yeah. See, there's gotta be like some Russian um, proverb <laughs> about bottlenecks who knows, <laughs> but yeah, you gotta have the right amount. So I, I always think that you should have the ability, you should have available capacity in your operations team, but not too much. Cause if you have too much, you're wasting money on paying them to be there but they need to be available for the influx and business and for growth. So um, good stuff. So let's, let's kind of talk about the, 
the pay structure on both sides. And I, I want to explain um, how people can transition, what I've seen firsthand with people, what I've helped people do. But as far as pay goes, we've talked about what a W-2 broker might make, where let's say if you're cradle to grave, common W-2 broker is probably making somewhere around like a 35 to 40K base. And then they're going to make probably anywhere from like 10 to 25% commission, depending on a lot of variables, such as did they break, did they get the customer themselves? Was it retired from somebody else? Is it a house account? You name it. There could be all kinds of stuff. Yep. Now, if you are a, uh, I've talked to carrier reps who they don't get customers, but they work on other people's customers and get that freight covered. And they're making um, a sim similar base, but their commission is more like, three to 5%, maybe 7% depends on the amount of business that they're doing. Um, and then if the broker is using a carrier rep, the broker then makes less money as well. So you've got to split up the amount of commission available and, uh, and divvy it up that way. So, but typically it's a very stable income for a carrier rep versus the broker. Cause a lot of times a broker might end up on a draw where they're just, they end up being straight commission at some point and mm -hmm. you know, if you're good at it, you're gonna make a lot of a lot of money. But if you fail at it, you might think, ah, maybe I'm better off in that safer carrier rep side of things. So, and I've seen more a big of that. Difference. Yeah, I've seen more of the and I and I don't want to say failed broker, right? But more of the broker that found that it wasn't it. a fit, right? Because Not a good salesperson, it, right? But here's the thing, like. I've met people that it, they didn't fail at it, right? Like it was just, it wasn't a good fit at that time or the stress based on whatever else they were trying to balance. It's all context. But I guess I bring that up to say is they also, they're, they sit in two different places on the company's <laughs> income statement too, right? Yeah. If you're a broker, you're on the revenue side, you're on the top line, you should be driving those numbers, right? Like very important, very different role. If you're on the carrier rep side, you're on the expense side, you're more of a fixed cost because every brokerage should be constantly developing and expanding that carrier base, right? That's the asset, that's the resource that the broker, the guy at the top dealing with the customer facing role needs to be able to support the people he's selling and communicating with, right? So just on that alone, right? You've got more risk on the sales guys part and more risk on the company for having them. That's why there's usually uncapped potential on the earning side, sky's the limit. But when sky's the limit, there's also an unlimited, there's no, there's no safety net, right? Like you yeah. fall off the tightrope, you're hitting the ground. Yeah. You're, the hey, you're, probably gonna, you're probably going to be losing your job before you hit the ground when it comes to your pay. So performance, Agreed. performance, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, factors and KPIs and metrics that you're going to be rated on as a account manager or, you know, broker sales rep or whatever you want to have it called. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. So, but I, I have met, and I mean, I, we, I did a workshop for a company in uh, Ohio the other, it was a couple of weeks ago and um, the carrier rep was phenomenal at sales. And this woman wanted to move over to brokerage. She likely will at some point this year. And same conversation, you know, she wanted more of the risk and wanted to transition over. And I think that kind of leads us to our next topic is, you know, pros and cons of each, right? Like, what have you seen, Nate, with people that have successfully trans transitioned from the carrier rep role to the yeah. agent? So it's funny. So um, two big things. Number one is obviously your earning potential, but number two is some people find that it's actually what they've wanted to do, but they didn't realize it. So an example is um, a carrier rep, right? Working at a brokerage, um, covering freight all day long, has a ton of great carrier relationships, and then starts to work more closely with the customers that he is booking loads for maybe the account managers out that day or they're swamped and they just said, Hey man, can you, can you talk to the customer? I know you've been working these lanes for like six, 12 months now. Next thing you know, that account manager takes a new job or promotion or leaves the company gets fired. Well, guess who already knows how to work with those customers. 
is that carrier rep. And now they have expanded their role into not just dispatching an operation, but now they can manage accounts and they could put out fires and, and handle issues that come up with that customer. And now they're making the full commission on it. Now, the what doesn't happen is they don't learn how to prospect necessarily because they were basically just uh, account fell into their lap. But they yep. realize that, hey, I actually like working with this customer and this account more so than just covering their freight. I like doing all of it. So that's one way to really expand into that full service thing is to, you know, offer to step in when somebody's on vacation or when they're out or try to get mentored by them, you know, to fully expand your knowledge and your experience is just gonna make you better overall. Like we always say, you know, you gotta always keep improving, always keep learning. Now, um, you know, like we said with prospecting, you still have to, you know, you can't just rely on that customer being there forever because no customer is with you forever. They're all gonna have some kind of lifespan on them. Things happen, companies go out of business. So you can't forget about the prospecting part. It's not just, hey, let me take over this account. It's, I've gotta learn how to, work with a customer and then be able to prospect and share my successes with prospects and try to gain their business as well. So that's one way to do it is to kind of expand and do a little bit of both. And then the opportunity might arise within your company to hop on the brokerage side. Well, here's the other side of this, Nate, is that, and this is my view of it, take it for what it's worth, is that I'd be hard pressed to find a company that would tell you any, any person in the carrier development role that if they wanted access to the CRM, that any manager, any company would say no. And that if somebody that was in that role said, hey, I want to just try my hand at prospecting, that anybody's going to tell them no. Right. And my advice to anybody that wants to see if this is a good fit, find a way and just block out some time. Now, there's, nothing, there's likely nothing preventing you from picking up the phone, making some cold calls, trying to be consistent about it and seeing if you can actually do that and you're okay with it and you're okay dealing with that rejection because the best way to make that transition is for you to just show the initiative, make some phone calls, find somebody that wants to work with you and then go over to the sales rep and go, Hey, I had been prospecting. I wanted to see if this was a good fit. I've got a great lead. Will you help me work this? Let's see if we can bring this customer home. You land a customer from that role. It's much easier for you to now, you know, make the position, make the argument, whatever you want to say to talk to your supervisor about saying, Hey, I'd like to be in a more challenging role, or I'd like to be in a riskier role that has more income potential. I want more out of life than the 40, 50, whatever that is, whatever that salary is that you're getting likely not a large portion of that is incentivized in the carrier role. Yeah. And, And I think too, that some people are, they're hungry for the close, right? When you, when you get a, a new customer and you get, you convert that prospect, the there hunt, is a, man. that's a, that's a huge win. It feels good. And you don't get to do that as a carrier rep. You don't. Adrenaline too. Those yeah. highs, when you close those days, like when you get a customer, when you solve a problem, when you're growing that business, whether it's your book or for the company and you believe in what you're doing, like those are my best days at work. I mean, yeah. that's why I do what I do is because I still get to hunt. I still get to help people. I don't have to chase the money and the contracts anymore, but I still get to find new people and help them solve problems. And those are the, the days that I feel most fulfilled because you feel like you made a difference, right? Absolutely. Not just, I did something difficult. You know, it's challenging, which means it's even more rewarding when you get it. And it's even more fulfilling when you know you're doing it for the right reasons. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the, the reasons I think a lot of people are afraid to go to that sales side is, like we talked about before, fear of rejection. They don't want to hop on the phone. So you got to understand that if it's not, if you can't do that part, it's not smart for you to to want to switch over. You know, you might be a really good carrier rep and maybe that's the spot for you. So. People um, want to cherry pick information, right? People say, well, they look at the top broker in the company or in the office and they go, this guy's pulling in a half a million dollars a year. He's not doing anything different than I. And for some reason, all of our minds do this. We weight that information more. We discount the information that the other 400 people maybe working in that company are making 10% of that. And we're like, we just compare ourselves to that top person. We go, well, I should be doing that. Yeah. Context is important. It is. It is. So um, I'll give you another example of what a guy did. And um, this is someone that went from W2 to agent now. So um, guy was a carrier rep for like four years at a, a local brokerage in his town and kind of similar to what I had talked about in the last example, 
he was working with a lot of the same customers over and over and over. And he ended up, so he, in order to avoid non-compete issues, when he left the company to become an agent, he didn't take the accounts that his customer that his old employer had. He had referrals from like delivery locations and stuff like that, that he had slowly built up over time. And then to play ethically and by the rules, he took a huge gamble on himself, came over, brought his dedicated carriers with him that could guarantee capacity. And this was like when, you know, capacity was extremely tight in certain areas and he had the golden ticket to get in a truck into a certain location. So then he immediately hopped on day one with those delivery prospects and all those other um, multiple picks and drops that he had along the way that weren't the actual customer in the past. And that became his, uh, his book of business. So he had already shown proof of concept to people that weren't even a customer, a paying customer of the last company, but they knew his reputation because he was doing check calls and um, scheduling appointments along the way for years and years and years. And they organically became prospects of his. So when he came over, he had to learn a little bit of the sales side, but he had the business, he had the operational savviness. And to this day, he's still doing it and he's loving it. So that's another way I to think- do it. That's phenomenal, Nate. And one of the things that I used to do with my trainees was I had the carrier base, I had the customers, I had the business coming through. So they had to talk to them anyway, right? For the most part, they're covering loads, learning how to negotiate that, right? And dispatching check calls and things of that nature, right? The first thing that I would do when they would start transitioning into the prospecting role is I'm like, talk to my carriers. And I say the word my in regards to the fact that like, yeah, they had, they had to know them, right? They were picking up like my customer's freight. And I'm like, yeah. once you know where these people are, prospect that area because you've got the other side, right? And every transaction, there's two pieces. You know my carriers. Ask them where they want to go. Ask them where they have picked up loads from. Pick their brains. Prospect those areas because now you've got something to talk about. You know, we talked about that in an earlier episode on cold calling. You now have the truck driver who's telling you, hey, what it was like to pick up at that location. He might even know the guy's name at the loading dock. Now when you're calling that shipper, hey, I know Joe's down there. I've heard great things about him from some of the carriers I do. How much, how much further along do you think that gets you with that shipper and that cold call, right? That's mm-hmm. real information. It matters to them. That's somebody they work with. That's all at your fingertips. If you're an ops person or you're just doing the dispatch role as you're training to become a broker, use these tools that are around you, just like in her story, to leverage that, right? You yeah. leverage what you have, use that. There's two pieces to every transaction. Absolutely. So the, I guess the third example I have is kind of similar to the first one. Um, so there were two guys I worked with in the past that were um, carrier sales reps, and this is an agent-based company. So the way that it worked is um, if an agent had an, an excess amount of freight or had some freight that they didn't want to work on that day, or, or they were on vacation or you know whatever the deal was, the carrier sales rep would then step in and get the loads posted up, talk to the carriers, get everything set up and start moving the freight. And they would end up building a solid relationship with a lot of these customers as they grew that business. So that being said, when um, the agent maybe left the company, left brokerage or grew their book and didn't have the ability to work all their customers anymore, they offered, hey, I'll let you take this account over and maybe have some kind of residual commission on it for Um, six months or a year. So I can still get a little bit of the piece of the pie until you fully take it over. But that's another way too, is you're going to kind of rely on somebody else to help them grow and make more money. And then down the road, as their book evolves, you may be kind of like that first situation, you may organically fall into taking over someone else's account. So um, right place, right time being, you know, you're not stealing anyone's business, but if you're helping them grow and then they no longer have the capacity to work that customer and they want to work a different you know, industry or something like that, then you already have a relationship. So kind of like the first one. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to, to transition into that kind of role where you are now handling customers and building your own book. Um, personally, I'm, I'm more of the sales hunter kind of guy where I would prefer to control my own income and build up my own book, manage my own book, um, rather than move somebody else's business. Because if somebody else is dictating the amount of business that I can earn a paycheck off of that, I don't feel comfortable with that. And that's exactly what a carrier sales rep or dispatcher is doing because they're not controlling the amount of freight coming to them to work on. So that's my thing is you. 
I'm same as you. That's why I am a sales coach. That's why I chose sales a long time ago is that I want to be in the driver's seat. It's my life. Yeah. I want to be able to determine how much I'm going to bring in based on the fact that how skilled I am and how much I'm willing to get better at that skill, right? Not just showing up at work and trying to do my best every day, but what am I doing outside of that, right? Yeah. Am I a student of my craft? Am I really trying to hone these skills? Am I listening to podcasts? Am I you know, looking for other resources? Am I reading books? Those are all tools that everybody has. I mean, information is ubiquitous now, right? Oh, yeah. Find it, use it, sharpen, the, sharpen those skill sets. If you're in that role where you're in you know, customer facing, you can hunt. I mean, literally the sky's the limit. And yeah. if you wanted to transition over, I mean, th th it's a pretty big, pretty big carrot that I would say the brokers have that maybe the other role doesn't necessarily have. But yeah. it's also another question is, you know, where are you at in your life? What type of risk are you able to tolerate? Yep. What is your financial situation? And do you have six months or a year's put away of savings so that if you take the riskier role and it doesn't work out, you don't fall flat on your face and not able to put food on the table for your family? Exactly. So um, I want to kind of compare if you're making the transition within the same company or if you're doing it separately. And I know I gave examples of both, but within the same company um, is it, it can be tricky because you need to make sure that you're aligning it. You're, you're kind of setting it up in the right way where you're not screwing over one of your coworkers by taking their accounts. Um, I think the way that you had outlined it with getting into prospecting and then kind of learning it, testing it out before you just, make the switch, that's a great way to do it because you're kind of proving yourself. The example that I gave where somebody worked someone else's accounts and then the person left, that's not going to happen all the time. So sometimes people feel like, well, I got to go to another company and do it there. Well, then you run into some non-compete, non-solicitation type of issues, depending on what you've signed. Um, I will tell you where I've seen success with people doing this is becoming an agent after being W2. Uh, now we'll assume that there's no non-compete in this situation, but the folks that are willing to fully bet on themselves, go straight commission and do both sales and operations, that's where you're going to make the most amount of money, but you've got to have experience working with those accounts first and they'll have to be able to come with you, et cetera. So there's, there's no perfect or right way to do this to make the move over. Uh, but there are definitely pros and cons to each way. So um, I would say the non-compete is probably the biggest detractor from someone switching companies to take an opportunity like this. And you switch companies, you've got, there's always a little bit of a learning curve on processes and who's who and this and that. Um, so it's gotta be worth it if you're gonna go that route. I think doing it within your own company is, is ideal if you can do that. Well, minimize the risk because you don't wanna, <laughs> You don't want to bring in two and an additional risk, just like you said, right? If you're not sure if the role's a good fit and you think it might be, one, my advice is to try to prospect, try to do these things without even switching roles first. If you yeah. can do that for a month and you can make 75 prospecting calls a week while you're doing the other carrier facing role, do that for a month. If that's something you feel is a good fit for you, because you're going to be doing that and a lot more of that, you'll get an idea of whether or not that's a fit. If you do feel like that's a fit, then I say approach internally and ask if you can possibly shift or if they've got a, the ability to do both as you transition. I would say my last option would be to look for a new home while I'm looking for a new position at the same time. Right. Hey, and the more opportunities you have, more options is, is better. So one last, um, one last point on kind of what you mentioned earlier with you know, getting approval from the management. Hey, can I, do you mind if I start prospecting? Because they're probably going to say yes. So if, let's say you're an East Coaster, right? If you're an East Coaster, when you finish up your day, do it on your own time when your work's done. Make calls to West Coast companies. I don't think any manager or boss is going to have a problem with you taking time because you're initiative. probably on salary, so you're not getting overtime. Yeah. Like they're going to see like, wow, this guy or girl is a go-getter and is serious about this. Like, yeah, go, go for it. Maybe you want to um, come in an hour early or, you know, take part of your lunch or stay late to sit in and listen to somebody else's sales calls or customer conversations, stuff like that, just to kind of sharpen the pencil and fine tune your skills. So I'm a talks cheap. Exactly. Yeah. Talks cheap. Show the initiative. Nobody's going to tell you no if you want to spend an extra half an hour to an hour. Yep. After work, work, work the time zones. 
Now you're risking nothing. And honestly, even if it doesn't work out, what do you think your impression of your manager is of you after doing that for a month? You think it goes up or down, right? Yeah. Even if it doesn't work out, they're like, well, at the very least, this hey, is the kind of person that goes initiative, right? That's leadership qualities. Those are the people that get promoted. That's also how you differentiate yourself from your peers. If you want to stand out, you're in a larger company, this is how you do it. Absolutely. I dig it. I dig it. So we got three questions here that I wanted to wrap up with today. And ironically, the first question is almost the, the flip vice versa of what we just discussed. So these, I pulled these all from Reddit today. And uh, the first question is, I'm thinking about moving from brokerage to a dispatching role. Has anyone else made this change? And they're just kind of asking for advice on it. So I want to answer this two different ways. I want to, I want to say they're going from the account management to the carrier sales rep type of role. And then I also want to answer in case they meant it the other way, like I'm going to leave being a freight broker to being a carrier dispatcher, which are two different things. Yep. Um, so you had talked about, let's talk about the um, sales rep to the carrier sales rep, the opposite of what we just discussed. I've seen a lot of this. Yeah, I was going to say, you, and you talked about yeah. why it might be a good move for somebody. What have you seen when someone makes that move? And, I, and I've seen it most with, and um, I actually wonder if my buddy's listening to this right now. I have a, a great example. This guy worked for me. He was one of the head ops people on my team um, with um, one of my largest accounts. Successful broker, seven years, um, was doing really significant money, um, loved it. But just like what we've talked about, we don't need to beat that horse, but lost his book to no fault of his own. His customer was acquired by another company. They, that company had a different ap approach to transportation. So no choice, nothing, not, not his fault at all. Lost his entire book, right? Um, then he had a second, third, smaller customer. They just kind of shrunk, didn't necessarily go away. But he went from, you know, a six-figure income to base salary in a few months, right? Well, also in that time, he moved from his 20s to his 30s. He, when he started in that role, he had no kids. Once he lost his book, he had two or three kids and a house and a wife and a family, right? So from his point of view, he couldn't take on the risk, didn't want to build out, didn't have the 60, 70 hours a week to start making that amount of cold calls to build it as quickly as he needed to. So he transitioned to this, you know, a dispatch and an ops role was one of the best ops people I've ever worked with because he knew the other side of it. He knew how to talk to my customers. He knew how to penetrate. He knew how to ask for more business. He knew how to negotiate the rates. He knew how to deal with the carriers. It was one of the best guys that I've ever had to work with. And it was a perfect example of somebody that at a different stage in their life was a great fit and a great performer under the brokerage model. Five, six years later was a better fit for the dispatch ops model. Yeah. That's a great point. So it's not always somebody failed at brokerage. Like you said, if there's a situation out of your control, that's where it gets dangerous. And especially if you're, um, now if you're an agent or if you're a brokerage owner, you know, you are responsible for your book regardless. You should make sure that, it, you know, you're always prospecting. But a lot of times in a larger company, when you have large accounts, they're going to tell you like, you need to be focusing your time on, these accounts, it could be a million dollar profit per year customer. You're going to focus on maintaining that relationship. You're probably not prospecting 30 hours a week. You know what I mean? So, and if for some reason, like you said, acquisition or you name it, if that customer's lost, that is a, just a terrible situation that you have zero control over. So yep. interesting. Um, now if the person meant this as I'm going to leave being a freight broker and become a carrier dispatcher, um, I'm not a fan of dispatchers in general. Dispatcher meaning, hey, I represent different carriers and I will go to the load boards, find them a load, and then um, take 10% of the carrier's pay. Uh, I think that is one more person in the equation taking money that doesn't need one to be- One more person with a hand in the till. Yeah, they're, they're literally doing nothing. Like you're going to, you're going to the load board or someone else is already already has their customers freight posted and you're already representing carriers that you know where their capacity is. I, I think the dispatching function should be done by the carrier themselves. Well, if you are a you. if you're a one person owner op, just have a friggin' login for the load boards, right? To find your here's loads. The, here's the other side of that though. And I don't want to play devil's advocate, but no, let's do it. Let's hear it. The other side of that was I know how much capacity 
I've gotten from dispatchers, right? Okay. There's one in Chicago, specifically in the intermodal world and in drayage, where this woman I worked with a ton, um, she, her, all of her family were drivers. Um, and then they had their close friends. So she probably had 30 drivers with trucks, you know, underneath her. And these guys were just making turns all day off the rail lines. And she was the one that coordinated all that. She's the one that handled all the BOLs. She's the one that kept those guys moving as efficiently as I needed them to be moving. And she added a lot of value in, in that role. Um, so okay. I think there definitely are people that are booking loads to just take 10% because they're looking. But the other side of that was if you've got drivers that are literally making short turns over and over again, and they need somebody to constantly keep them moving, specialization. And Felicia, if you're listening, that's who I was referring to in Chicago. I, I mean, still to this day, her name rings a bell in my head because as soon as you were walking me through that, I'm like, I know how many containers and cans she was able to pull out of Chicago because of the value she provided in that relationship. There you go. So we don't have to agree on everything, it seems. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's actually a great example of, of one that would work. Um, I've just seen more so the majority of people see it as an easy, an easy dollar, right? Yeah. And um, now to answer the question of moving from being a broker to a carrier dispatcher, I, I wouldn't unless you truly don't have confidence in your ability to build and maintain a book of business yourself of actual shipping customers. So. Because what are you eliminating? And, and let me ask, I mean, before we go past that, think about it. I mean, the role of a broker versus a dispatcher, right? If you're a dispatcher, you're still dealing with the carriers. Yep. You're still going to the load boards and you're still negotiating the rates and the prices with either a broker or a shipper, right? You're just, well, you're just thing, not calling the shipper directly majority of the time. Exactly. You're just not, all you're eliminating is the rejection and the cold calling. Yep. Fear. Yep. All right. Next question here. Um, this again from Reddit, they said, help, any advice on the best commodities to move? Um, so this very vague, but I, I kind of wanted to hit on, I've talked about margin in the past on certain commodities. Um, I will tell you this, the easier it is to move, the less profit, less profitable it is. Doesn't mean it's not profitable, but it, usually the less profitable it is. So uh, basic 53 foot dry van freight, one pick, one drop, super easy not going to be the best margin, very competitive, right? Whereas uh, extremely complicated heavy haul, oversized, requires permits in multiple states. Um, anything that requires cross-docking or in and out of and ports, you name it, more profitable because you're doing more work. So examples of easy to move commodities, lumber, steel, basic Bricks. building materials, dry goods, right? Um, a little more complicated is refrigerated stuff. So like if you've got, or I should say temperature controlled, um, certain kinds of produce that have tight capacity and have multiple picks and drops, that is a headache for a lot of people, but you can make some good money if you can coordinate all that. And, you know, you understand the headaches that go along with climate controlled um, shipments, you know, with claims or especially with produce in general, if you're dealing with berries, I mean, the claims on berries are pretty ridiculous. Um, you get into, like I said, the heavy haul, oversized stuff, big projects, a lot of work, requires a lot of experience and learning to be able to do it well, but you can make a really good amount of money doing it. Uh, it's also the risk, right? We used to call it hustle freight. Hustle freight was, you call anybody with lumber, and you tell them you got a cheaper truck than what they've been getting, they'll give you a load. Call yep. anybody that moves bricks, same thing, right? So where everybody used to cut their teeth were, cool call all of these hustle freight companies, you can get some loads, you post them up all day, it gets you some exposure to negotiating. And when you get the right truck that needs that backhaul to go back there, you match them up and you've got a load and you covered it one. It was yep. definitely the best place to start. Well, where you go from there is the higher risk commodities, right? More risk more return, right? Holds true in everything. If you're going to ship exactly. lettuce and in seven days, it only has three days of shelf life. And in five days, it has four. There's a huge cost to not getting it there that extra day. That yep. shipper's willing to pay a higher margin. If you're shipping steel or ingots, right? To a steel mill and they need them for that run. Otherwise that steel mill is going to shut down way higher margins, right? Like yep. it's, 
you always just look at the risk of what you're hauling and you can pretty much correlate what your margin is. You can lean on it. Definitely. One of the things that I've actually seen become more of a, a hot, industry lately the last couple of years is the freight forwarding market. So these could be like final mile type of delivery. So stuff comes in from out of the country into a port or it's in a warehouse distribution center, whatever. And they need like a box truck or a sprinter van or something that's not your typical full truck load to get anything from a single box, you know, just a small box to I got two pallets that got to make it here for this trade show, or this is a, you know, um, aircraft part for a downed aircraft or, you know, equipment for a production facility is down, needs this part. That final mile stuff, it required, we've, we've talked about it before, requires a lot of attention and it's, it's specialized in an essence because you're dealing with equipment that you're not always used to. And the rates are not really dictated or they're not consistent with what you'd see drive in or the, you know, the rest of the, the full truckload market, they are extremely, extremely specific and dependent on that situation. And that's about it. But the margin can be very, very good in it, but you're doing a lot of work. So well, good example. That is if you've ever booked a load, having to go into the Island in New York, right? Like you're going to pay a huge premium for them to navigate that small amount of the mileage, right? Like mm -hmm. it's just a really good example of if you're sending somebody to Gillette, Wyoming, that last mile is definitely not as complicated as the last mile across the Washington bridge, right? Or yep. going into Manhattan. Yeah. And I've even seen too, like um, in my LTL days, anything that was delivering in the certain areas of the, the five boroughs in New York, we would give it to a cartage company to deliver that final mile because we didn't want to deal with the bridge heights and, you know, just the traffic in general. So you get a few pallets and you get them to a, cross dock facility and there you go a small like a sprinter van like i said can get them in there yes you're they're gonna customers gonna pay more because they're delivering to a complicated area like that um but with higher price goes higher margin typically overall so if you're brokering that kind of transaction there you go good stuff cool all right you got some experience in this auto yeah. transport leads online yeah. what, do you, what do you think about purchasing auto transport leads auto man? transport leads online okay so i have um I've talked with folks before that have like, Hey, uh, they wanted to become an agent and their book of business consisted of, Oh, I just purchased auto transport leads online every year. And a lot of times it was like the snowbird movements coming from, you know, my neck of the woods to your neck of the woods, New York to Florida or vice versa, depending on the time of year. And what's happening is you're moving a single vehicle and you're paying somebody for that lead instead of generating it yourself. I, I'm not a big fan. There's not enough meat on the bone here to make it worth your time where I have seen, and I'll explain why. So let's say a car, um, a car wants to get moved from Florida to New York. Maybe you find six of them, right? And you can get them all coordinated to pick up within a same week and deliver within the following week in the same general region of the U S and you get the same truck that can haul all of them on his trailer or her trailer together. That's a ton of work. Um, most people are just like, Oh, I'll just bid on this single one and I'll get it moved up there. And you might make 50 bucks on it, but you had to pay $25 for the lead. And it's like, is it, is it really worth it? Like you're competing against yeah. um, you ship and all kinds of other companies where I've seen success. And I'll let you kind of talk about this is big contracts for auto hauls, whether it's dealerships, rental car companies, they have to reposition equipment or vehicles throughout their, uh, their area of where, wherever they're operating to make sure they have the, um, equip, the proper equipment or vehicles ready for their customers. Absolutely. And, and then there's, I've definitely seen some brokers that have made very, very good margins and very, very profitable accounts, um, scaling this up. Um, but what I've also seen is that there's, there's a lot of, there's, it's different equipment for one, which means that just because you have a carrier base doesn't necessarily mean you have access to the types of car carriers you would need to move these. Right. Also, the BOLs in regards to the insurance and how every single vehicle has its own paperwork. And it is definitely different than just a full truckload. There are nuances and understanding those is why it's specialized, why it has a higher margin, why companies are willing to pay more. Plus, the risk and the load value on an entire car carrier mm -hmm. is likely higher than 
50 to 100 grand. I mean, 25, right. 25, even 25, you know, new Chevrolets, right? At 35 grand a pop, right? Like, it's a big number. There's a oh, reason yeah. why things need to be done right and why companies are willing to pay to have them handled correctly. Right. So um, I'll kind of go back to what I said earlier is where you can make the money in it, I guess outside of dealerships and um, rental car companies, is if you have really good connections with um, people that ship on a regular basis. And if you can match them all up and have them delivered in the right order, because think about this, if you put, you know, you've seen these, these trailers that haul vehicles on them, you can't just take them off in whatever order you want. They have to all systematically come off in mm -hmm. a certain order, right? Because the way that they're stacked up there. Um, people that succeed in it, they're very savvy. Was it, is it Central Dispatch, the auto hauling load board, uh, where people post on that? It's a very specialized one. There's a lot of learning curve that goes into this to being successful in it. But um, to answer the question, what I, what I think about purchasing the leads, I, I don't like it. That's my thought. So, hey, if you're the guy that's selling the leads, though, good for you. Someone's buying Absolutely. them. Absolutely. You're not, you're not the only one buying the lead. That's the same thing. It's pretty much whoever can get, you know, call first, get a good price in there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Final Ooh. thoughts. Episode five, oh man, in the books. In the Always books. A great time. What's uh what what do we have coming up? We we're gonna do we're gonna do a um series with a larger 3PL company and talk about a lot of cool yep. stuff. Um we we're gonna work talk with, as you're familiar with, and I know you're gonna be doing some of your time with the uh in service next week, right? They do a lot of work with the government, a lot of work yep. with the men in blue, and a lot oh, of yeah. work with the military. Yep. That'll be fun to talk about the, you know, the, the work with SDC and us transcom and FEMA USAID, all that good stuff. Um, we're going to do a, uh, episode on insurance, I believe. Yep. And, um, coming up on insurance. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to get some good people on here. We're going to shake it up. So make sure for all you out there listening, let us know what you want to hear. If you want to be on the show, let us know. We love doing interviews. We like you to get out of the comfort zone here. So. Absolutely. Oh, and the one other thing we forgot to mention, we were chatting about possibly um, entertaining some sponsorship ideas. If anybody's out there has thought about it, wants to reach out, um, Nate and I will be considering those. If you want to shoot us an email or a thought, um, wanted to get some exposure for your company. That's something we're going to start entertaining coming up over the next few weeks or the next few months. Yeah. I think the kind of the, the company highlight thing is a great way to do that. Even if, you know, people can, you can just do a quick little sponsorship, but if someone wants to come on and kind of promote their company for a little bit and talk about it, we're open to that too. So um, let us know, you know, make sure to reach out to us directly or through the website at midnightfreightbroker.com and we can, uh, we can go from there. So absolutely looking forward to it. And, and it's only, only a few more weeks before I can, truly mean this when I say it, but go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any content that you've heard in this episode. Visit us on the web at www.midnightfreightbroker.com. And feel free to contact me if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency. And if you'd like to learn more about what I do or are interested in us running a complimentary sales training for your sales team, please reach out through LinkedIn or our website once again at midnightfreightbroker.com. See you all in the next episode.